there's a lot of things my dad was good at. Let's put it this way. There's a lot of great qualities about him. One of the very poor qualities about my dad is that he liked lima beans. I know. I know. It's almost unthinkable, right? He genuinely loved lima beans. I think he still does genuinely love lima beans. It's, I don't understand. And for me as a kid, this was particularly a bad situation, right? Because my mom would get, you know, a, a bag of frozen mixed vegetables and she would cook them up for dinner, right? And in the mixed vegetables, you had green beans and carrots and peas and all of these things, and then you had lima beans. And I don't know why they decided to put lima beans in the mixed vegetable bag. I mean, I guess it's a, a nice big bean that's a filler, uh, I suppose, but, but there they were. And so we would have dinner, and I'd be seven or eight years old, and you know, I'd eat my, all the, everything else on my plate I would eat. You know? I mean, I was a good little soldier eating my food, except the lima beans. Man, I would absolutely eat around the lima beans. And so we would get towards the end of the meal, or my dad would catch it in the middle of the meal that I was picking around the lima beans, and he would get annoyed and frustrated because he loved lima beans, and he'd be like, hey, eat your lima beans. I'd be like, they're terrible. <laughs> and I would get in trouble. I can't tell you how many times I got sent away from the table to go stand in a corner with my face, my nose in the corner, or to have to do a wall sit or something, some sort of form of punishment, because I would not eat lima beans. I would not. I was on a lima bean boycott. Um, I, would, I don't want to admit how many times that lima beans were force-fed to me as a child as well. That's a different, that's a different story altogether. And I think perhaps my mom got wise to this situation. She got a little annoyed with the fights at the table and just stopped buying mixed vegetables and started just buying like straight frozen corn or straight green beans because those were a little less, you know, offensive, I guess, to everyone. But uh, nevertheless, nevertheless, uh, as, I, as I become a parent, um, I have also had similar, you'd think I would learn and I'd be a little bit more gracious with my kids, but it turns out I suffered eating lima beans, and by golly, you're going to eat what's put in front of you, right? And so there is a story when Ryder was about two and a half years old where uh, he and I had a two-hour standoff over green beans. Um, legitimately, he was strapped into his little chair with the little table and stuff for two hours, and he and I were just like, you're going to eat these green beans. They were long since cold. I mean, they were like starting to shrivel up, right? And he's just like, nope, not going to do it. And it was, uh, it, was, it was something to behold. But nevertheless, I am, I am all about making something taste good if you can do it, right? However, there are some things that are good for you food-wise that just, they're just not going to taste good. Uh, take, for instance, salad. Salad it doesn't really taste very good, right? It's good for you, I admit, but no, no, thank you, someone, for admitting that. Yeah. Uh, salad, this is, is going to be the point that everyone's going to go home and be like, Cody said, 
Like, that's not the point of the sermon. Anyway. For example, salad. Okay, it's not, it, it's, it's not great to eat. It's good for you. Uh, but what do we do? It doesn't taste good, so you take the ranch dressing, and you just like all over that bad boy. But here's the deal. Ranch dressing is not good for you. And as soon as you smother your salad in ranch dressing, it is, you might as well have not eaten salad in the first place. Just go get something else, right? Because you've, you've now consumed so many carbohydrates, you should have just got more mashed potatoes. You know, give me some gravy. It's basically the same thing. Ranch dressing and gravy. Gravy is like better tasting ranch dressing. That's what it is. Amen. Thank you. First time Matt has ever said amen in a sermon. <laughs> anyway, you might as well have eaten something else. So, you're like, Cody, what are you talking about lima beans and salad for? Here's why. Paul's coming to the end of his letter. We're in the last section of Romans, the, the last section of the book, of the letter of Romans that is really kind of Paul, finishing Paul's exhortation to them. Next week, he's going to jump into his kind of final greetings. And there's some very specific things that Paul is going to say here in, in our passage, or says in, in this passage, directly to the church at Rome. Very personal things. He's finished up explaining all the doctrinal truths. He's finished up challenging them in some particular ways about how they ought to live. And he's going to give them some specific and personal instructions because he's coming to visit them, or he plans to visit them, and he's hoping that they will help him on his way in his mission to preach the gospel uh, in Spain. But he knows there are some words that he has spoken, written, that are kind of hard. They're difficult. They don't taste very good, if you will. I mean, he said them because they're good for them, right? That's the right thing that they needed to hear. If they would listen to them, they would be spiritually healthy for them. But, it, but it's, not, it's not super fun words to, to eat, if you will. He's been feeding them some veggies, and he's not been putting too much ranch on them. And consider some of what Paul has said in this letter. He's talked about God's wrath and how no one seeks God on their own. He said, when you pass judgment, you condemn yourself. He knocked the legs out of, uh, from underneath any sense of justification by any means other than faith alone. Anything that would be culturally Jewish, he said, no, that doesn't work. He's told them that they are in desperate need of Jesus' work, that they can't do it on their own. He's told them that it's by God's sovereign choice that all of this happens. He's attacked any sense of pride over our own salvation, right? And he's told us to be a sacrifice, to submit, to consider others first. I mean, it's... Man, you're eating your vegetables when you're reading the book of Romans, right? And there are those who would like to hush Paul. There are those today who would like to hush Paul. And there are those today who would like to discount him in his words in Romans and in other letters. There's kind of this, this way in which some will artificially pit him against Jesus and other texts of Scripture as if they're in contradiction to one another because they don't like justification by faith. They want to earn it. They don't like the idea of God's sovereignty. They want control. They don't like Paul's strong words on sexual morality. They would rather sin. 
And you can find them anywhere from TikTok and YouTube to scholarly books. That voice is the same voice as their father, the serpent, who whispered in the, Eve, in the ear of Eve, did God really say? Did God really say? Does Romans really say? I mean, I know you remember that sermon. I know you remember that point. But did Romans really say that? Is that really what Paul means? Is that really what you have to do? Perhaps some of you have that voice in your own heart on some point. Some part of Romans. And so my question for you today is this. Will you continue? Will you continue to listen to Paul's words? It's one thing to sit here and to listen to a sermon. Okay, okay, and I wrote some notes, and all right. But will you continue, will you really allow yourself to digest, to consume what God would have for you through Paul in the book of Romans? Will you continue to come back to it? Will you continue to remember the things that we've talked about and allow it, allow it to really infiltrate who you are in your life. Friends, you are, I guess you are what you eat. Will you eat it? Will you eat it? I want to give you five reasons from this text why you should keep listening to Romans. Five reasons why you should continue to study it, continue to remember it, continue to let it infect your life. Reason number one. We all need reminded of the gospel. We all need reminded of the gospel. Paul starts this section by being very complimentary to the Romans, right? In verse 15, you see, he says they're full of goodness and they're filled with knowledge and they're able to instruct one another. And perhaps if Paul was here, I hope, I would wish for him to say the same thing about us. But on some points, Paul has challenged them boldly, he says. And he, he recognizes, I think here, that it's not easy to digest those things. But it's also not completely out of left field, what he said. He says he's done it by way of reminder. Now, what does that mean? I mean, certainly the Romans couldn't have sat down and written such a theological treatise as the letter to Romans is, right? They, they couldn't have been like, oh, yes, yes, I know all these points, yeah. And yet, I think what Paul is saying here is that it's a reminder because contained in the letter of Romans is nothing but the core truths of the gospel. It's just Paul working out those truths into the lives of the Romans, right? And if they had had time enough, because they can instruct one another, they would probably come up with the same conclusions. But Paul Paul speaks it very directly. So that tells me two things. On, on the one hand, on the one hand, you don't need to be some super gifted Christian to live for Christ and to help others do the same. You, you, you don't need to be Paul to live for Christ and to help other people live for Christ. You don't. These Romans knew enough to instruct one another. 
They knew enough to be full of goodness. They knew enough to be filled with knowledge. The implication is they would have worked these things out eventually on their own. But on the other hand, it also tells me that even the most knowledgeable Christian, even the most solid, spiritually mature Christian will need people to apply the gospel again and again and again into their lives in specific ways, to remind them of what the gospel is and to apply it particularly to your life's situations. There are things in Romans that are hard truths, and there's probably some Sundays when we've been here and, or, or when we were at the orchard where you've listened to a sermon and you've thought, ouch, ouch, that hurts. Maybe you've been tempted to cruise past those truths or those applications. Now, I'll apply these things. These are a little easier to, to digest. I'll eat my carrots, and I'll eat my peas, and I'll, and I'll eat my green beans, but don't give me those lima beans, Paul. But I'd encourage you to go back to those things that are the hardest. Live there for a little bit. Reflect on those things. Allow them to digest, because I think that's what you need. Would you allow Romans to be able to instruct you? Last year, a little over a year ago, I was in a pretty rough spot as a pastor. I'll be honest, I was really discouraged, as many people were last year. Two things were really incredibly helpful to me. It was helpful to have a friend who walked through some particular books of the Bible with me said, hey, hey, I want you to read these books of the Bible, and I want you to look at them and say, what, what here is instructing you on how you ought to be a pastor, on what being a good pastor looks like? And we walked through those texts, and it revealed to me the lies in my head, and it reminded me of what Scripture truly says and, and, and there are some truths from that exercise that I was able to put down on a note card. And even today, multiple times a week, I pull that note card out and read it and remind myself, this is what a good pastor does. This is who a good pastor is. Not that. But it was also helpful to me to get some very specific biblical counseling in particular areas. When, when you're, listen, when you're a pastor and you go to someone's house to do some, you know, to counsel them and you end up being the one who's crying uncontrollably, you got an issue you need to work out, right? And that was me. And so I was able to go and get some particular biblical counseling over some for how the present situation I was in was bringing up some past situations. And while those past situations weren't my fault, because of those past situations, what was my fault is the sinful ways in which I did handle them and was bringing those idols back into the present day, bringing those sinful patterns into my present moment. And I needed someone to say, Cody, remember, 
That's not true. Cody, remember, that's sin. Cody, remember, that's idolatry. Trust the gospel. Trust Jesus. I knew the truths generally. But it was helpful to have someone to say, here's your lima bean. You need to eat it now. And perhaps that's what you need. To allow people into your life to remind you of the gospel. Whether that be informally, the friend will walk you through that, or whether that be more formally with biblical counseling. But I'd encourage you to do that. Okay, second, second reason that we should continue to listen to Romans. We are in need of obedience. I don't know about you, but I'm in need of more obedience. I've not, I've not uh, reached the point where I don't need to be a little bit more obedient to Jesus. Paul's goal in this letter, he says, and, and his goal for his overall ministry is clear. Verse 16, it says, so that the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, to bring the Gentiles to obedience. You'll see, for Paul, faith and obedience are not divisible things. Like, they, they're not separable. Like, they go together. Remember, in Romans 3, 23 and 24, Paul wrote, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the goal of, of um, that justification, though, is not merely to just be justified, but part of our salvation is sanctification. We are saved from having to sin. Romans 6.22 said, let me remind you, it says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. So Paul is saying, yes, you're justified by grace, not by your own works, but because that has happened, the fruit of that is that you will be sanctified. You will continue to be conformed into his image. You will continue to grow in obedience. That is part of salvation. Do you not realize that salvation, rightly defined, is not just that you get out of the punishment of your sins, but you don't have to sin anymore. That you can actually stop sinning. That that's actually the best thing for you. How important is it to keep that goal in your vision, right? Think, makes me think of a good coach. When I played basketball many moons ago, right? First couple weeks of practice were a lot of running. You had to get in shape. You've been out of shape. And so we've run in sprints, but a good coach, when you're running sprints, he continues to remind you 
that you're not running sprints just to run sprints, but you're running sprints because this is what is needed to become a championship team. When you're eating that salad without any ranch dressing, you're like, oh, this is horrible. Ugh. You need someone to remind you why you're doing that, right? And if the reason you read or you listen to Romans is only to have a better theological understanding or to prove some sort of theological system, then you're missing Paul's point for writing it. And those things can be true, and those things aren't necessarily bad, but you're missing Paul's point for his ministry. When you have a deeper understanding of God, and you have a deeper understanding of the truths of the gospel, along with a heart that's drawn into worship of him, Romans begins to have this tremendous potential to transform our lives as our minds are renewed. That not only are you a new person in Christ, but he is also remaking you, conforming you to his image. He is transforming you. What a wonderful thing. You can listen to Romans because we all can use a little bit more obedience. We also need to listen to Romans because Christ's work, Christ works through his word. Christ works through his word. Look at where Paul gets his authority for doing ministry and for even writing this letter. He says in verse 15, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus, particularly to the Gentiles. Remember in, in chapter 1, verse 5, he wrote that God had made him an apostle to the Gentiles. In verse 16, it says that he sees himself as a priest and his offering is saved and sanctified Gentiles and his altar is the gospel itself. Now consider where, where he says he gets the power and the means for doing this. Verse 17 and 18, he takes pride in or he glories in the work of God, not in his own work, but the work of God. It's not Paul who accomplishes it. It's Christ who accomplishes it through him. Whatever has been accomplished, friends, through the sermons that have been preached through the book of Romans, whatever value that that has given, whatever you've learned, whatever insight you've gained, whatever ways in which it has changed your life. It's not me. It's not Paul. It's Christ who accomplished that. Christ. And still, Christ is doing his work by the Spirit in us. Some of you guys have had Christian fathers and Christian grandfathers, and you've seen the legacy, the legacy that has had on following generations. At the beginning of this series, I shared a bit about the sheer volume of church fathers who the book of Romans, this, this particular letter has had a profound impact on. It's overwhelming if you begin to study Christian history just how many church fathers have been 
particularly impacted by this letter of all letters. In this way, generations of Christians have been changed, perhaps without even realizing that that's where it comes from, that God, that, that, that Christ has worked particularly through this letter. We are in need, friends, of more Christian fathers. We're in need of more Christian fathers, and I mean that in the ordinary earthly way in terms of we need more fathers, earthly fathers, who are good Christian men. And we need more men who are fathers in the word, in the gospel, to others. We need both of those things. We need them in our homes and we need them in our churches. Men who are so surrendered to the word that it permeates generations. It starts here. For those who've gone before us, Perhaps it starts here for you as well. Perhaps this is the moment. This is the day. This is the year that you change your family's history. That you, you are the one in 30 or 40 or how many ever years that your grandkids and your great-grandkids are standing around remembering the profound impact that Christ working in you in very ordinary ways over time has had on generations of people. I was reminded of that this week. They went to the visitation for Lisa White's father. You know Lisa and Jeff, and if you knew Bill at all, you know that generations in his own family were profoundly impacted, and generations of other men were impacted by just a very ordinary guy seeking to be obedient to Jesus, and God happened to give him 96 years to do it. I pray that God would raise up from this church many bills. Another reason to listen to Romans is this. We, we have heard the gospel. You're like, well, of course we've heard the gospel. Let me explain. God gave Paul a unique mission in bringing the gospel initially to the Gentile world. No one else in history had this mission, and no one else in history will have this mission again. We know that because Paul here boldly quotes Isaiah 52, 15 as him being the fulfillment of. Can you imagine writing a letter and saying, this passage in Scripture, I fulfill it. God fulfills this in me. That's what Paul does. We understand that Isaiah is talking about this servant, and he identifies him in this particular passage as him, and that servant is Jesus, the Messiah. And those who have never heard are the nations and kings in Isaiah 52, and they represent the Gentile nations. 
So Paul is saying that he did this work from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum. Not that it was a straight shot between them or that he had every single town on the way, but he says more generally, all, all around to, he, he, he has this strategy of going from region to region and hitting the major cities with the assumption that if, if he gets the, the gospel into this region, then the, the gospel will permeate that region for Christ. So Paul's unique ministry is to preach the gospel where it has never gone. And he's hit up all the regions around there. And he says, now, now I want to go to Spain because I know what I'm supposed to do. I know that I'm supposed to preach the gospel to Gentiles. And I know I'm supposed to preach the gospel where it hasn't been. And I've been everywhere here. So I need to go to a new place. And that, that place is Spain. And that's what he plans to do. And here's my point. Paul started a ball rolling that has resulted in us hearing the gospel when the majority of us will never get within a thousand miles of Jerusalem, right? Halfway around the world, the ball that Paul started continues to roll. The proof is in the pudding. Why not then listen to Romans today when Paul's ministry 2,000 years is still rippling? Why not let it influence us and change us and adjust our thinking when it has done so for millennia? Consider, use another sports analogy, consider the, uh, uh, the, the quarterback or the pitcher who comes to a new team and the coach says, hey, we want to change your throwing motion. And the quarterback's like, this is my moneymaker. You're going to change my throwing motion, man. You're putting everything on the line. Now tell me if that coach had coached multiple MVPs, that changes your opinion, right? If he's a nobody, you're like, no, you ain't touching my throwing motion. But if he's coached the MVP the last three years, you're like, okay, I'll listen to you. I'd like to be an MVP too. You got someone saying, hey, eat this, don't eat that, and you're like, uh, but I don't like that. But if the person says, I'm a dietitian, and this is what's going to be the most healthy for you, and you go, okay, all right, I'll listen to that. Listen, proclaim, we were planted here in Bonner Springs, and my prayer is that through us, the gospel would permeate this city and would permeate this region as we live it out and as we proclaim it to others. This is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And that brings me to the last reason for listening to Romans. We get to participate in gospel ministry. We get to participate in the gospel ministry that Paul started. You get to participate in the same thing. Paul shifts in verse 23, and he's talking about his ministry, uh, from talking about his ministry generally to talking about specifically what's going to happen next and, and, and how the Romans can support him both materially and as well as in prayer. And, and the Romans are a big part of his plan, right? His purpose for preaching is to preach in new places, and he wants to go to Spain. And so he's hoping that, he's hoping that, that he can stop in Rome, that they'll bring him in, welcome him in, and then that they'll send him on his way, materially supporting him so that he can get to Rome. What, 
And that's what they can give Paul. In support of him, and by extension, in support of kingdom advancement. But Paul's first task is this. His first task is to deliver a material gift from the Gentiles in Macedonia and Achaia to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. There's a famine in Jerusalem. And Macedonia and Achaia, they're not like really uh, like wealthy regions necessarily, but they have collected up funds to send to those who are, in the present moment, worse off in and around Jerusalem even though they're Gentiles and, and these are Jews, and usually that wouldn't happen, but because they're both in Christ, that doesn't matter. And so they're giving to them. And say, In fact, he says in verse 27, indeed, they owe it to them, not in a legal sense like, like oh, you know, you, you borrowed, I borrowed 20 bucks from you, and now I need to give you 20 bucks back or something, but in a moral sense. It's the practical outgrowth of Paul's theological point back in chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, that the Gentiles recognize that it's through the Jews that Jesus has come, and it's because of that that they even know the gospel and that they are reaping such wonderful spiritual benefits in Christ, and so they want to give back to these Jewish Christians materially. You see, we often create this artificial division between material and spiritual blessings, and perhaps part of that is because we don't want to have potential confusion about you know, like the health and wealth gospel or something, and that, that they take it kind of too far, and so we kind of overcorrect, and we don't see how spiritual blessings can manifest themselves in material ways, and how material gifts can actually be spiritual benefits to others. I've often heard some people say something like, well, I don't know much about the Bible. All I can do is just work with my hands, or all I can do is this, or all I can do is that. And I want to shake people. All you can do? All you can do? Really? As if serving someone practically is somehow detached from spiritual fruit? Listen, when you... When we do the most common of tasks, motivated by the love of Christ and the love of our neighbor, it takes on the most spiritual of purposes. I want you to understand that. You're not defied physical, the material, the practical from the spiritual in a way that the Bible doesn't divide it. Paul places this example in front of them of, of these Gentile Christians there and him kind of taking this to the Jewish Christians. It's an example of what he hopes the Romans will do for him, right? You, mostly Gentile Christian church, would you help me in my ministry just as these Gentile Christians have helped these Jewish Christians? Not selfishly. And we know Paul is willing to go without. We know that Paul's willing to work to support himself. But he's also aware that if they would support him, it will accelerate his ministry. And it will accelerate the gospel to new places. He says, man, you can be a part of this. You can be a part of this. 
You can be a part of what God is doing in places where the gospel hasn't gone without leaving your own city, Romans. This dawned on me when we first set out to plant, proclaim. We didn't know what we were, where we were going or what we were doing, but, but we would, <laughs> I would go and talk with people and I'd say, hey, uh, I'm, I'm planning on planting a church. Would you support me? And they'd say like, hey, well, where are you planting a church? I don't know. Well, what kind of church is it going to be? I don't know. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know, but, I'm gonna, but, but I believe that God is calling me to plant a church. Will you support it? And it was really weird at first, right? Can you imagine? I mean, if you've never raised support for something, then it's maybe hard to imagine. But it's really odd to go and meet with people and just be like, hey, will you give me some money? But it, it all changed when I realized something. When I realized that I genuinely had no selfish motivation in this. When I realized it wasn't for me that I wanted them to give money, it was because I, I believed the work, I believed that God was calling me to do this work. That God was, God was working. God was doing something. I knew I couldn't do it. I knew I needed other people's support to make it happen. I knew that other people, that God wanted to work through other people materially to make this spiritual thing happen. I truly believed that it would be a spiritual benefit to them for them to participate in what God was doing. Man, that freed, freed me up. Freed me up to say, hey, would you give to this? I think it would be good for you. I think God wants to work through you in this way. So let me ask you this. What blessing are you missing out on if you don't allow Romans to move you to give more or serve more for the gospel? I can't tell you how many people I know that have experienced significant spiritual growth that all started with a simple challenge to trust God to give in some way sacrificially. What are you missing out on because you're not willing to give sacrificially to what God's doing? And there's another side to this. Paul, in his last few verses, he asks them to strive with him in prayer. What, what should they pray for? Well, he says to pray for Paul's protection and his effectiveness in ministry and even his personal joy and refreshment, right? Now, we're not going to pray for Paul. He's been dead a minute. That wouldn't make sense. But there are a lot of people that you know who are doing ministry here and around the world that God may be calling you to strive together with them in prayer. Are you striving together with us as a church in prayer for God to use Proclaim to reach this city and this community? Are you praying for protection? and effectiveness, and joy and refreshment in Christ. When we pray like this, we are striving for the sake of the gospel. When we pray with and for those who carry the gospel message that the book of Romans represents, we are linking arms with them 
We are linking arms across space and time with all the believers from all the generations who have done the very same thing. Do you get that? That when you strive in prayer for those who are preaching the gospel, that you are striving with people long since deceased who also prayed for the gospel to go out. Imagine the believers who were in this building decades ago praying that God would do a work in this city. Perhaps that work is still yet to come. Perhaps, proclaim, has to come through you. Would you strive together in prayer? Strive together practically in practical ways for the sake of the gospel. You know, for the longest time, I resisted really taking a deep dive into the book of Romans, partly because there were a lot of people around me who were like, oh, Romans is so good. And whenever someone, whenever people around me are like, Romans, you know, something is so good. I have this bad habit of being like, I don't even care about that. (laughs) Whatever. Everyone's doing it. I'm not going to. And that could be a good thing sometimes. And that could be a really bad thing. I'm just being honest. I really do that. I really do that. At the same time, there were also some particular theological points that, that I just didn't want to wrestle with. I didn't want to wrestle with at the time. And so like a big bowl of mixed vegetables, I pick through. What parts of Romans do I like? I'll bring those up. I'll quote those passages. Part I don't like, I'll just kind of leave them on the plate. I wonder how many riches I lived without for years because I was resistant to come to this letter with a heart and mind open to whatever God would want to say through it. I wonder what kind of riches I missed out on, what kind of opportunities I missed to speak truth into someone's life because I was unwilling to take a big spoonful of Romans and just digest it. So we spent a year, the better part of a year, going through Romans. We've got two weeks left. What long-term impact will it have on Proclaim? What long-term impact will it have on us, on you? How will you participate in gospel ministry differently? How will you be obedient more? How will you understand God better? How are you seeing yourself as a co-laborer in the gospel? Listen, if you're not a Christian yet, here's my question for you. Who would you want to listen to more? Be honest. I want you to take these next few minutes as we go into communion, I want you to be honest with yourself. Who would you want to listen to more? Would you rather listen to a person you know intends to only say to you what they know you want to hear? Or would you rather listen to a person who will lovingly and truthfully speak both what is nice and what is hard, who will feed you what you like and also your vegetables with it because they genuinely believe it's what's best for you? Which is it going to be?
Which is it going to be for you?